Father, help us. Help me to hear your word this evening. Speak to our hearts, O Lord. Teach us your ways. Show us your paths. Search us and try us and see if there is any wicked way in us. And lead us into the way of everlasting life. To that end I pray, Lord, that you would bless the speaking of this word. That you would anoint the speaking and the hearing, O Lord, of this word. That there will be an unction and an authority of the truth, O Lord, that will be preached, O Lord. That it will be backed up by the Holy Spirit. What is of man, let it fall to the ground. And what it, what is of God, let it remain. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you. Commit every one of us into your hands. Bind every spirit of tiredness in the name of Jesus. Grant us alertness in mind, body, soul and spirit. Enable us to grasp your word. Bring everyone who is coming to your house, O Lord. Bring them safely. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We look at the last portion before we end the story of Josiah. Reformation according to Josiah, how he brought in the Reformation. And this is the last of the righteous kings that Judah ever had. And after this, it goes from bad to worse and the kingdom goes into captivity. The people go into captivity. Just before the captivity, there's a ray of hope. God always delays his judgment. And one man of God said he always gives a long rope to all of us, hoping that we will repent. And if we don't, the same rope, we'll hang ourselves. So, the last, before we end the story of Josiah, what is the last, what is the crowning act, if you will, the pinnacle of Josiah's career as a king? In the 18th year of his life. What is it? And we look at 2 Kings chapter 23. Then the king commanded all the people saying. Keep the Passover to the Lord your God. As it is written in the book of the covenant. I'll tell you something. This is this this term. As it is written. Is so significant. Genuinely. I mean when, when genuine revivals. Reformations take place. People come back. To the study of the scriptures and their life is completely based upon the authority of scripture. Every decision that they take in their lives is as it is written in the book of the covenant. Question. Every decision that you take, that you take in your life, every, every, every motive, every action that you take, can you back it up with the, with the, with the word of God? Why are you doing this? Because it is written. Why are you not doing this? Because it is written. Okay, this is, this is remarkable. There is no other authority that we have. It is the authority of the word of God on which we will stand and the truth, you shall know the truth and the truth will surely set us free. And the lie of the devil is, it's okay. You shall surely not die. Come back 
to the scriptures. That is this remarkable, so significant as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel. Remarkable. It's the highest point in Israel's career. Nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. So even David, who's supposed to be the most righteous king, never kept a Passover like this. But in the 18th year of the, of, uh, in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Another place, passage in 2nd Chronicles chapter 35. There had not been celebrated a Passover like this since the days of Samuel the prophet. Remarkable. Nor had any of the kings of Israel celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests, the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is the the highest point in Josiah's career. So, why the Passover? That's a question. <laughs> why did he not celebrate Yom Kippur? Why Passover? That's interesting. So, we will look at two Passovers in the Bible. There are several Passovers in the Bible, which, I mean, the details of the celebrations are, men- uh, are mentioned in detail. Two Passovers in the Bible. The first Passover... And the last Passover. And from there we will see, we will try to learn some lessons. What does it mean to keep the Passover? The first Passover and the last Passover. The last official legitimate Passover. And every other Passover after that was only a remembrance. Let's try to see what those are. The first Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 onwards. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And verse 6, and now now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts, on the two doorposts, and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted with fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. That's the first Passover. I mean, this, and he goes on to speak about more details. But I want to stop here and make a few observations before we go any further. The last Passover and the first Passover. The Lord is the last Passover. The Passover that Jesus kept before he died. That's the last legitimate Passover um, uh, that is recorded in the Bible. And after that, no more. Because the, once the sacrifice is done, that is Jesus Christ, is a Passover lamb once and for all. This is the last legitimate Passover. This is Luke's Gospel chapter 22. Look, notice what, what he says. And when the hour has come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat, eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine 
until the kingdom of God. Two Passovers. And he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover. Something Jesus is going to tell us. Try to learn what are those lessons. Title this message, Jesus, our Passover. Let us make a few observations. Anyone who stays inside the house, anyone, anyone, doesn't matter if he's a Jew, Israelite, or an Egyptian. Anyone who stays inside the house upon whose doorpost the blood of the lamb was applied, the destroyer would pass over. Anybody. What does it tell me? It tells me that Israelites are not very special people. It doesn't tell me that it is not because Israelites were were righteous and Egyptians were sinners that God was saving them. No, it was not even because Israel Israelites were slaves and Egyptians were lords that God was trying to have pity on Israelites and trying to save them. No. It was not because Israelites were poor and the Egyptians were rich that God was trying to save the Israelites. No. That was not the reason at all. You know, sometimes I feel that poor people are much more proud than rich people. It's very subtle in among poor people. Very, very subtle. I've observed that. It's not because of that. Not because of any of the attributes that Israelites had that God was saving them. You need to understand that. Doesn't matter who it was. Who it was, doesn't matter. It could have been an Egyptian. It could have been a, a, an Israelite. God said, any door I see, blood applied, I would pass over. And he tells the, Israel, the Jewish people this in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Moses tells them, it is not because of your righteousness or the pride of your heart that you are going to possess the land. No, it's not because of that. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember, and do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God. And it's just, just a matter of time. They, kick, they come out of the land of Egypt. God is telling them, you're not the cat's whiskers, no. You're not special people. It doesn't matter who it was. When I saw the blood applied on the doorpost, I would just pass over. In Romans chapter 3, look at what it says. Very interesting. Verses 28 to 30. For we hold or we maintain that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or, easier God of the Jews only? No. <laughs> is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes. Of Gentiles also. It is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. It is not because they were circumcised. In fact, the fact, the matter of the fact, the fact of the matter was that many of the young generation were not even circumcised in, 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 in Egypt. They were not. So it is not because they did any righteous act or anything that is good in, 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 in and of themselves that God was trying to save them. He said, no, anybody, if an Egyptian would come and he would apply and you, or rather he would stay in a house wherein the blood was applied. I would pass over. The first observation. Second observation. In every house there was a death. That's remarkable. There was judgment in every house. 
either an innocent blemishless, blemishless one year old lamb died or the firstborn of that house died. That's remarkable. Either an innocent blemishless one year old lamb died or the firstborn of that house died. It doesn't matter whose house it was. There was a death that was going to take place. Okay. So, that's remarkable. That's the second observation. In other words, you judge yourself or I judge you. That is, that is exactly the reason why he tells the Corinthians, when you come to the, to the Lord's Supper, don't you understand that this is the Lord's table and you should not take part of it in an unworthy way. You should judge yourself understanding that this is the Lord's body that was shed for you. And if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. But if you're not, many of you are among your sick and weak and many of you have fallen asleep. So, something was taking place. Judgment was taking place in every house on that day. Look at this. It's a fantastic verse in, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, how he describes this. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that day, that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egyptians. In the land of Egypt. He's not saying in the house of the Egyptians. No, 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 no. Every house in the land of Egypt, I will strike the firstborn. Both man and beast against all gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Okay. He will execute judgment. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It doesn't matter if that house is an Egyptian house. If any house in the land of Egypt, that firstborn would die or a lamb would die. And if he sees a lamb, I will pass over. What is the significance of it in the New Testament? In Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, Paul will beautifully explain. This is the ESV, ESV version. Look at what he says. For all have sinned, Jew, Gentile, Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation through his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, what did he do? He passed over the same thing. He sees the blood over of, of a son being shed and he passes over, whether it be Jew or whether it be Gentile. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Look at this. By faith and who has faith. Only thing that you need to have that day is by faith come under the blood. That is what Hebrews will say. Look at what it says. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 28. By faith they kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Question therefore, what is happening in Josiah's time was everyone was judging themselves. And they were saying, Lord, in your forbearance, O oh Lord, you never dealt with us according to our sins. We all messed up. Look at this, another, trans- another verse, Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law, but that which comes through Faith in Christ that depends, that the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. You see, again, it's faith. So you, by faith, it's anybody. Anybody who has faith 
and who comes under the blood will be saved. That is how God judges sin. Okay. So he judges his son and if you are in him, he will pass over you and if you are not in him, he will judge you. Okay. Let's move on. Exodus chapter 12. What is this? What is the significance of this? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this is This month shall be your beginning of months. What does it mean? From today onwards, you can have a fresh start. All your old things are passed away. Everything has become new. That is the reason why Paul will say in Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things old have been passed away and everything has become new. So he says, 1 John 1, 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have a fresh start with God every day. Every day you can come to God and say, Lord, today I messed up. Best thing that you can do. How, how often do we do it? Do we do it every day? Do we cry out and say, Lord, not on my works. I come to you not by my works, not the, by the acts that I've done, not by my obedience, nothing, Lord. I don't trust in any of those things. By faith. And once you confess, he will cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. Everything. That means he will reckon you righteous for that particular day. Nothing. As if you have never seen sinned in your life. A fresh start with God. So that's the easy part of the Passover. All you need to do is come under the blood. That is by faith. And as just, as, as James, James would say, faith without what? Works is dead. So what are the works? What else are they supposed to do? Another interesting name for the, for the Passover is in, found in Exodus chapter 12. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it As a feast, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off. Take away all the leaven, in other words, in your house. And you shall observe the feast of what? Unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day Throughout your generation as a statute forever in the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening. And so on. What are they supposed to do? Eat only unleavened bread. What is the significance of this? This is where the the focus of today's message is. Want to understand what it means? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 to 8. Paul will talk about this. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Look at this construction. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Okay? Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the leaven, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and Truth. What is the first thing therefore? First lesson. Humble yourselves and mourn for your sin. 
Look at what he says. First Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you or of a kind that is not tolerated even among, even, even among pagans. For a man has his father's house and you're arrogant. Oh, you're sinning and you're arrogant and you're not even humbled yourself. You're not mourning. See, it is not the sin that is important. It is the attitude. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Chuck Missler is a very famous Bible teacher. His wife and him, I mean, this is a very interesting story, you know, fantastic example of this old man of God who's so candid about his life. His wife has passed away, by the way, a couple of years back, if I'm right. He was going through a very, very tough time in his marriage, extremely tough time, and he was oblivious to it. His wife was struggling, and then so many things are happening in the home, and the and one day the wife says, she asked the Lord a very interesting question. Humble yourselves. How do you humble yourself? She asked the Lord, why should I be the first to change? And she wrote a book called, Why Should I Be the First to Change? It's a remarkable book. And she said, Lord, why should I be the first to change? He can't see it, Lord. He can't see the marriage is falling apart. And, and the Lord said, you change. And she, he, took him, he took her to First Peter chapter 3. Win your husband without a word. And she said, Lord, I didn't expect this from you. I thought you would empathize with me. And then she know what she did. From that very day onward, she took it to the took it to her heart, and she started humbling herself, talking less. When she, when the husband would come, the food would be arranged on the table. Even if he didn't come on time, everything was well prepared and well made. She would wait. Consistently, she kept doing for us for a considerable period of time. And one day, Chuck came home. He sat at the table. And he looked at her and he said. What's going on? You want to say something to me? And then she opened her mouth. Why should I be the first to change? That's a question that everybody has. Why should I be the first to say sorry? And the the fact of the matter is, my wife didn't find this book, I found the book. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it would have been easy, <laughs> easy. I mean, had she found the book, why? And, the, and and it's it's very interesting. After that, I I was listening to one of John Piper's sermons, and he was and he says he says, if I, if you're a pastor, and if you're in a leadership leadership position, you know better than your wife. And it says in the book of James. The teachers will be judged more severely and therefore you should be the first to say sorry. And he said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> That's interesting. Think about it now. In, in, in every relationship among friends or husbands and wives and and employees and employers and among whatever the relationship, what is your question? Would you say, Lord, why should I be the first to change? Why should I make the first move? Why, Lord? You know what the answer would be? He said, you should make the first move because I made the first move. When you were sinners, 
I'm sorry, he says, when you were without strength, when you were ungodly, when you were sinners, when you were enemies, I died for you. And therefore, purge out the leaven of saying, Lord, I will not change unless he changes. Never going to happen. If we're waiting somebody for somebody else to change in you, it's never going to happen. God will wait because he spoke to you first. Cleanse out the old leaven. See, the John Piper calls this, this a genius of the New Testament ethics. What, you look at what he says. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may become a new lump. See, look at that. Cleanse out the old leaven that you should, that you become a new lump as you really are. You're already new. Don't you understand? You're positionally new. Therefore, cleanse out. Cleanse out the attitude of who should say sorry first. Question, who says sorry first in your house? Teach your children, Baba, to learn to say sorry. One of the things I have found it very difficult, I mean, Abigail asked me not to take her example, but I'm going to break the promise for the sake of you people. She said, Papa, please don't take my example. Okay, I said, it's very cute. One of the things is very difficult for your heart to say sorry. Oh, very difficult. Say sorry. Oh, no. They will cry, but not say sorry. Is there in everybody? Why should I be the first to say sorry? Especially if you are in the wrong. I mean, if you are in the right. It's more difficult than if you are in the right. You have every reason to justify. Lord, this woman that you gave me, Lord, Every reason to justify. We love him because he made the first move, saints. Second question that many people, I, I hear this. Why should people take advantage of me and defraud me? I mean, if I if I say sorry, will they, they will take, take advantage of me and they will I will become a doormat. They will take me for granted. Especially husbands. Oh my goodness. They will take advantage. Man, there's a very interesting attitude. Attitude. This is just an attitude. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 5. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? Baba, husband and wife fight at home. You know who's watching? I remember Art Katz when he went into his community, the very first time, he was going for a meeting. Before before he went for the meeting, he was having an argument with his wife. He prepared the sermon, some argument, and she was so upset with him. She was he was going out of the door, and it was in this community. Okay, it was a community. the The chapel was about hundred meters away from his home. Everybody in the community was there, and then he walks out of his home, and she says. Go and tell them how what what a wonderful preacher you are. And she bangs the door. Pang! And, and it reverberates along the entire community. <laughs> he gets a shock of his life. And then he goes to the to the chapel and everybody is watching him. Now he's going to the pulpit now. It's amazing. 
I mean, we, we had it in our home, no? We had an argument and I just go out and the, oh, every day the landlord has to come. Whenever there is an argument. I sit on the bike and my landlord is watching me. I ignore him. <laughs> and I go. You see? That's exactly what it, what, what Abraham says. He tells Lord, what is going on? Look at the unbelievers, everybody watching us. We are fighting. Take whatever you want and go. If you take the first choice, that is maturity. That's amazing. This is exactly what he says in the next verse. Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourself wrong and defraud even your own brothers. That's what Abraham tells Lord. He said, we are brothers. You won't take the first thing. Take it and go, Baba. Take it and go. Okay. Take it and go. And he's not even going to, I think he's going to put his head down. When he's taking it, he doesn't want to see, he doesn't want to get any bitterness into his heart. Because after he takes, uh, God says, look up, Abraham. It's amazing. That is the reason why when, when Jesus, after Jesus finishes, pre- finishes preaching, one guy gets up and he says, Lord, ask my brother to give my property. Share it. He says, who has made me judge over you? No. A man's doesn't contain in whatever. You remember the phrase. Do you want me? You, you, you see, if, 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 if your testimony is, if your testimony is that people take advantage of you, if that is your testimony, who are that is here? Boy, you are really a Christian. And if you're not complaining, and if you're like, everybody takes advantage of me, everybody, then you're not a Christian. This is happening, right? I mean, and this is, this is, this is, this is remarkable actually. This attitude is there. Now, Jesus is celebrating the final Passover, and this is the first Passover we looked at in Exodus chapter 12, and he talks about what kinds of leaven the, the disciples are having. Right when the final Passover, he's saying, this is the body that is broken for me, broken for you, this is the, this is the cup of the new covenant which is broken for you, etc., etc., etc. And look at what they are talking amongst each other. Serve and not to be served. A dispute also arose among them as to which one is the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. This is happening right at the final Passover. Rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. That is the reason why Peter will say, as stewards of the manifold grace of God, Use it to serve one another. Showing hospitality without grumbling. He who speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. So that in all things, God may be exalted and be glorified. To him belong dominion and glory and honor forever. Amen. Serve and not to be served. I like this. Who is the greatest? Who is the best preacher? I mean, I've seen this, no? I have a, I have a, a stereotype in my mind always about great, great preachers, okay? Whenever great preachers, I have, uh, Art Katz, maybe, and David Wilkerson, and passionate voices. Passionate, passionate voices, okay? Art Katz, David Wilkerson, Paris Reedhead, and, uh, 
Paul Washer and John Piper, etc. And then I said, you know, I, I know this, this ministry is really flourishing, but just look at the passion and the power in the ministry because of this preacher. I have a stereotype in my mind. And then I also look at other preachers. One of the most boring preachers you can ever find on, online is John MacArthur. Very boring, very monotonous. He reads from his script. He doesn't go to the left or to the right, but I'll tell you, so powerful. It's like a one monotone. No, what do you call, excitement at all (laughs) in his voice. He will never go out of his script and everybody in the audience is gripped. You know why? It is not because of the kind of gift that you have. It is the authority with which you speak. And you will have authority only when you are like this. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 13. When he had washed their feet, this is again the same Passover, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right. Some some people call them Lord and some people call them Rabbi. For so I am, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another feet. And if you're familiar with um, this uh, int- int- very interesting testimony of Arthur Cads, how he got converted. Remember that? Some of you? He was going in the cab and this guy gives him a lift. A Christian, unknown, still an unconverted Jew. And then um, and he asked him this question. Art Cads asks this guy who's driving him, uh, what's your name? And he asked him to get into a conversation. And then he says, I'm looking for answers, philosophical answers in my life, and I'm a Jew. There's so many problems in this world, I don't know how we solve these problems. And, you know, just going on and on and ranting away. And that guy's a believer, he makes a very powerful statement. He looks at him and he says, Art, you know the only solution to every problem in this world is for people to wash one another's feet. And he stops. That's a very simple statement. You know, sometimes simple statements can be like thunderbolts into your heart. It's very interesting if you read the narrative of Josiah. High priest finds the law. Gives it to Shafan. Shafan reads it. Takes the law, goes to the king, and the king reads it. King tears his clothes. Shafan doesn't even move an inch. It's remarkable. The same word, if your heart is searching for genuine answers, it will hit you. Otherwise, no. Think about it. If then, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed one one another's feet, you also ought to wash, ought to, must forgive. That is the reason why in Ephesians he will say, forgive one another. Be sympathetic and kind to one another because just as God in Christ forgave you. God in Christ forgave you. Another observation. During this, the last Passover, deal with pretense. It's very interesting. The, the best example in the New Testament of a hypocrite or the entire Bible. 
the entire Bible, the best example of a hypocrite. Anybody answers? Okay. Let us look at the best hypocrite. If you were going to make a, make a movie, we can give him the best actor award, the Oscar for the best. Look at this man. This is during the Passover, the last Passover, and this is what is happening, a conversation, and Jesus says, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? Look at this point. Is it I, Lord? Jesus makes a very powerful statement. He says, he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to him that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. This is at least something. You know, we'll talk so much about the sovereignty of God. Everything is happening according to what has been written. But you know what? Judas, Judas had a choice to make. He chose to betray. And that is what he's saying. Woe to him by whom I'm being betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, look at this. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I? What? What is that? Not Lord. Is it I, Rabbi? Look at this, no? He was pretending so well, even when Jesus said, you have said it, so people still didn't get it. People still, he was pretending so well. I mean, uh, uh, you've seen that movie, Schindler's List, in the last part of the movie, when Liam Neeson is, is crying, and he's saying, I wish I could sell off this ring of mine so that I can buy more juice. I could sell, uh, I wish I could sell off this car of mine so I could buy. And he's crying and weeping and he's crying and weeping. And I'm, I'm watching the movie. I say, Lord, please, Lord, forgive. It's, you just get, he's into the character so much. That's exactly what is happening. Judas is into the character so much. People are not even realizing that he's pretending. Look at this. Another place. John's, John's Gospel chapter, this is even more fantastic. John's Gospel chapter 13. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he, st- and he testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another. Uncertain of whom he spoke. Boy, look at the... They, and then any, and one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Very clearly, Simon is asking Jesus, tell me who's this guy? Who's this guy? Ask him, ask him. Is it we? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And Jesus says something very interesting. So the disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it, Lord? Jesus said, it is he whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot. And still they could not recognize him. He, he told them the sign as to who it was, he, who it would be, and he dipped it, and he gave it to him, and they couldn't recognize. Can you imagine how well Judas was pretending? I mean, if you were to take a survey among the disciples themselves, Ari, tell me, Baba, among twelve of you, if somebody would ask and say, Ari, who is the most fired up disciple? Mm, I think Judas. Fired up, intelligent, Baba, uska dimaag kaisa hai? 
fantastic disciple. The most genuine. Very, very genuine. I'll show you. I showed you. And they couldn't understand. Now, then after he had spoken the morsel, Satan entered into him because Satan is a fantastic pretender. Nobody would know Satan is pretending. And Judas looked, I mean, Satan looked at Judas. That's it. He entered. What are you doing? Do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew about him. Can you imagine how fantastically people can pretend? Just not people. All of us. All of us. Why did the disciples not even know? Why could it? You see that, no? Externally how it was. In John's Gospel chapter 12, something happens here. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. But one of the disciples... Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And everybody said, Amen, Judas, you spoke well, bro. Bro, that's what should have been done. Because it says in the other Gospels, everybody was upset. And who led it? Who led the charge? Judas said, it should have been sold and given to the poor. Peter said, kya baat bola? Fantastic. Yes, Lord. Why did you waste, Martha? Sorry, Mary. Mary. All this money on waste over here. So they never recognized this man was an absolute hypocrite. And this was happening during the Passover. That is the reason why Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, pretense. And in fact, think about it, the best pretender was not even a Pharisee. He was one of them. Then he said, not that he cared for the poor. This he said, because not, he, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He had the money box and he used to nicely help himself with the money. Think about it now. How do we pretend? Is there pretense in all of us? That's an incredible leaven to take care of. And how does he betray Jesus? You know, that's the philosophy of uh, of Judas. Fake it till you Make it. I mean, that, that is today's generation. I was listening to one of the forwards that Samir sent the other day. You know, a, a, a common survey was done among the schools in, in, in US. Teachers are under tremendous pressure to give A, a grade to all the students. Why? Because if they don't give them an A, even if they don't deserve, Okay, even if they don't deserve, if you should, do, if you don't give them an A, the parents will come and sit on their heads. Hey, don't say like that, Baba. He's not studying well. Don't say like that. Don't say he'll get hurt. Hurt that Papa. He'll get hurt. Don't say things like that to him. Okay? Why? Because his self-esteem will go down. He's very weak in mathematics. Don't say like that. Say that he's struggling. I mean, if you've seen the movie Incredibles, you've seen that movie Incredibles. I mean, it's a it's it's a it's a cartoon, okay, Justin? It's a cartoon, okay? It's a, it's a, it's an animation. In that movie, there's a conversation between the husband and the wife. 
And husband as usual comes home late. And the wife is waiting for him. And she says, what have you been doing? And you know, he goes off his ranting and he says, how come you can't even care about your son? Tomorrow is his graduation. He says, this is psychotic graduation. He is going from the first grade to the second grade. And you are finding strange ways to celebrate mediocrity. Oh, what is graduation? From first grade to second grade, put that cap on his head and put that coat. I mean, I got that cap when I went to IIT when I graduated. Now these fellows in the first grade, they'll get that cap. Why? Papa, you have to increase their self-esteem. Make them, you affirm them, say, you're, you're, you're the best. Even if you're five feet, four inches, you can be a great basketball player. Affirm him. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna try the rest of his life. He'll never be a great basketball player. Because you, have you seen, uh, NBA, NBA? Those fellows are like, what, trees? Affirm. I mean, you see that, you see that. This, 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 this thing for affirmation in our generation. Don't speak all those things to our children like that. No, no, no. Chala hurtetad vadu, mawadu. Chala hurtetad Don't say like that. I mean, I, I, used, I, keep, I keep asking this question to myself, okay? Can you imagine if somebody were to come and say, I should not sell this to Vijay because he will get hurt. Oh, he will feel so bad and he will leave the ministry and he will run away. You know what I should do? If my, my attitude is that I should pack my bags and leave now. Fake it till you make it. Have you seen that movie? Uh, I mean, if you read that book, Trojan War. If you've seen the Trojan War, Achilles is very, very upset with the king, with the, with the, with the, with the Greek army, with the leader of the Greek army. He says, I'm not gonna fight anymore, I'm going home. And he's, he's already told his, his, his platoon, said, tomorrow, you're packing our bags, I'm not gonna fight this fellow, he doesn't even respect my, my authority, my word, pack your bags, let's go. And actually, his platoon wants to fight, and they're all discouraged because their leader said no, and they have to submit to their leader. And in that, there is one guy who is a nephew of Achilles and he wants to fight. So what does he do the next day? You know what does he do? He, he puts a helmet like Achilles. He puts an armor like Achilles. He runs like Achilles. He takes a sword like Achilles. And his mask is, you know, the mask of Achilles. And everybody thinks that Achilles has joined the war. And his platoon says, come on, Achilles has joined the war. And all oh, they go and fight. This fellow is doing the sword like Achilles, but he is not Achilles. You know what happens in the war? He's killed. Then Achilles comes to know about it and he says, what's going on over here? And they realize that it's Achilles' nephew. Achilles is heartbroken. He catches that fellow, his commander, and he says, how did you allow this? And he says, Lord, my Lord, he he moved like you, he dressed like you, he ran like you. He did the sword like you. Achilles says, he was not me. That's the philosophy of this generation. Fake it till you make it and you cannot do that in the kingdom of God. If people say tough 
things to you. If you are, if you do not have the disposition or the, or the attitude of people confronting you with the truth, I, I would say that you're still not, not a believer, strong believer. No, you're not mature at all. If people have to think twice and walk on eggshells or what they will think, Rababa, Vijay, if I say this, oh, he feels so bad. Oh, he will stop the ministry. No, that's not what happened. Look at what happens in Galatians chapter 5, 2, verse 11 onwards. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I mean, <laughs> Peter was confronted by a young believer. I opposed him to the face in front of everybody. He was embarrassed, by the way. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. That's remarkable, no? Because he always, Peter always had this fear. When he went first time to the first time to Cornelius' home, he said, Lord, three times that thing came. Three times he said, I will not eat, I will not eat, I will not eat. Everything has to be told thrice to Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Don't be, how many times will you be bitter, bitter, bitter? Three times. And then when he comes back, everybody confronts him. How come you went and ate food with the Gentiles? <gasps> hold on, hold on, hold on. And then he gives the whole story and then they say, oh, Gentiles could be repentance. Gift of repentance has been granted. But that thing doesn't go off. You see, old habits die hard and you have to have several confrontations with godly men, more mature, more spiritual, even if they are young, to confront you and to show your compromise. Look at what he says. For before certain men came from the, from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, you see that, along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. Dissimulation. See how incredibly fast the leaven of hypocrisy is? One fellow pretends, it spreads like that. And one guy has to stand up. Stop it, guys. It's not going to happen here. Not under my charge. Huh. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, and thank God for Cephas, Cephas, not Cephas, Cephas, for you, though you are a Jew, you live like a Gentile. <laughs> like that. He's confronting the Baba. You know you. I know you, Peter. Peter, you live like a Gentile, and you're asking the Gentiles to live like Jews. What is what is wrong with you? Thank God for Peter, Paul. Thank you for that correction. Our dear brother Paul has written many things. According to the wisdom that God has given me. You know, Paul had no false, you know, modesty. I worked harder than all of them, Baba. Okay? Yet not I, grace of God is in me. If you want to know, count the number of books. 13. 14, I mean, 13 or 14, 12 or 13. Peter, only 2. Okay? I mean, he was suggesting that in other words. I don't know. But no false modesty. We need such people in the church who can confront. I mean, it says in the book of Nehemiah, I mean, I'm not saying they're suggesting that you should do that. When Nehemiah saw those Jews who were intermarrying with the others, he came, he caught them by the beard and slapped them. I mean, don't do those things in the church, but think about it. 
Question is, are you slappable? And they all say, okay, 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 sorry. We'll put away all the Jews, all our. They said that. They come, they, they changed. They didn't get offended. And today we should be worried. What will you think, Baba? Oh, shame on us, saints. Shame on us if we are like that. Look at what it says in Proverbs. It is better, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend than profuse of the enemy. Why? Why? Luke's Gospel chapter 22. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. You look at that, how it changes the narrative. One and the man called Judas. He is no longer among the twelve now. Was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Would you betray the son of man with a kiss? I was introduced to this beautiful song by Michael Card. Card. The song is called Why. Look at the stanzas. Why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? Why did it, why did he use a kiss to show them? That's not what a kiss is for. Only a friend can betray a friend. In other words, only the closest to you have the capacity to betray you. No other. Look at this. A stranger has nothing to gain. Why did it have to be a friend? Who chose? He had to choose it, my dear brothers and sisters. Betrayal is a choice that you make. You don't have to make that choice. Yes, God was sovereign that it had to happen according to the scriptures. But woe to that man by whom betrayal has to take place. He didn't have to be that man. Only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend comes close enough to ever cause so much pain. Point is, you know what? Jesus was vulnerable. He allowed Judas to be close to him. And he understood the pain of betrayal. In other translations, he says, friend, friend. Goes on. And why did there have to be a thorny crown pressed upon his head? It should have been the royal one made of jewels and gold instead. It had to be a crown of thorns. Because in this life that we live, for all who seek to love, a thorn is all the world has to give. That's all it can give. It can only give you betrayal. You trust in the world system. It will betray you one day. And why did it have to be a heavy cross he was to be, he was made to bear? And why did, did they nail his feet and hands? His love would have held him there. In other words, they didn't have to do it. His love, he would have held them there. He would have gladly died for them. Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to do that? 
It was a cross. For on a cross, a thief was supposed to pay. And Jesus had come into the world to steal every heart away. Ah, I love that. I love that. You know why? Because he's the only person who will never betray you. Give him your, give him your heart and you will never regret it for the rest of your life. Yes, Jesus had come into the world to steal every heart away. So Matthew chapter 10 will say, be ready for betrayal, saints. I didn't say that. God said that. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Father his child and child his father. Boy, that's that's tough. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The question is, everyone can betray anyone. You are not immune to any of these things. That is the reason why it says in First Corinthians chapter 10, he says, take heed. Anyone, if you think that you are that you're standing, take heed, lest you fall. Lest you fall. Boy, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Against betrayal. When it is not convenient for you. First Peter chapter 2. What is the antidote for this? <laughs> you know what he says? First Peter chapter 2, he says, so put away all malice. All malice. You know what malice is? Malice is you have an intention to harm. But you cloud those intentions with good faces. You always smile. Smile. What was that movie? Uh, some cartoon. Smile and wave. You cover all your things with a smile. Hypocrisy. Pretension. Oh boy. I thank God for my parents. Every time. They, they dealt with this in my life. This fellow is acting like anything. With the actor. With, I mean, he used to tell my mother, he used to tell me, you with the actor. No, no false. <laughs> So, so put away all malice and all deceit, all kinds of deceit. I mean, this can, this can be a sermon. And all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And he writes this remarkable clause. If, oh, why does it have to be an if? Peter, have you tasted? So the Lord is good. In spite of you betraying him so many times, he always said, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me, come back, come back. Have you tasted? That is the reason why the greatest character that you can have, characteristic, that a believer or a non-believer, anybody who can possess this, my dear brothers and sisters, Psalm 32, Ephesians chapter 4, of course. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. Being guileless. Ah, you know, that's the freest man on planet Earth. 
And if you are living for the opinions of men, boy, you are the most miserable man on planet earth. Hmm. Jeremiah chapter 3. This is during Josiah when he, when he did this Passover. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did? The faithless one Israel? How she went up. This is during Josiah. Josiah is repenting. He's smashing idols. He's, he's making a covenant. He's doing the Passover and he's saying, everybody in Judah, come on, come on guys, come on, come on, let's do it. Let's come back to the Lord. Let's come back to the Lord. Have you seen what she did? That faithless one Israel, how she went up on every high hill and on every under every green tree, and they, there she played the whore, faithless, broke loyalty, broke trust. A young man, after last Sunday's message, he came to me and he said, "Will my, will the Lord accept me?" So many times I ran away, so many times. Will he? I said, "You know what? God is looking for honest hearts like that." You remember Hosea? Remember Hosea? God asked him to marry a prostitute. He never heard that before. Obviously, he never read as Hosea. So, uh, he looked, he's, what? God asked him to marry a prostitute? Yeah. And the, she married him, bore him children. And then she left him. And when she left him, God told her, go and get her back to yourself. And he was like, really? Yeah. And when he did that, the entire nation of Israel was asking, what happened to you, Hosea? You're a prophet. How can you take a wife like this? And then he said, that's true. That's true. You asked a very good question. So let me ask you the same question again. What did the Lord do to you? And he's asking you to come back to him. But what does he do? Faithless Israel, how she went upon every high, high hill and every green tree. And there she played the whore or the harlot. And I thought after she had done all this, she will return unto me. And God is looking at him. I want him to come back to me. But she did not return and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that all for all the adulteries of this faithless one Israel I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. But she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly she polluted the land committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart but in pretense. During whose time? Josiah. The best Passover in the entire history of Israel. And still, the leaven of hypocrisy not taken away. Ask God for this gift today, saints. I want this commendation. I don't know about you. I want this from the Lord. Nathaniel said to him, can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus said, Nathaniel. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Wow. Who said that? Jesus said that. Can God say that about you? Children? Jesus? Can God say? To each one of you? Or are you pretending? Are you pretending? That's the leaven that we have to remove. That's a very difficult part. That is the reason why Jesus says, if you say that you have not sinned, you make him a liar. 
You make him a liar. Let's get rid of pretense today. Let's keep the Passover. And when you do that, you know what? You will enjoy genuine repentance. You will enjoy. You will enjoy fellowship with God. And you will get a commendation from Him. Blessed are you in whose spirit there is no guile. It's a very tough thing because everybody has to deal with it at different levels. One of the stubbornest spirit, stubbornest, most stubborn, sorry, most stubborn spirit is the lying spirit. You know, it's it's interesting in the, in the Proverbs, I was talking to uh, the Jesus' children the other day. You know, the guy says, he, this, this guy breathes lies. I mean, you know, the word breath is ruach. What does he do? Even as he's breathing, his very breath is lying. And he says, that's an abomination to the Lord. Because you can't pretend before him. He sees everything through. Let him do it, no? Let him do it. Let people correct us. To our face and tell us what we are to our face. Let us ask God for the grace to handle that and not get depressed and oppressed and go into depression mode for several days. I'm no good, etc, etc, etc. No. It's good. Better are the rebukes of a friend than the kisses of the enemy. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for this time. Father, we all struggle with this at different levels. And the more closer we walk with you, Father, we are in more danger of betraying you. Because it is only the closest who have the capacity to betray and cause you pain. Father, I pray, Lord, for the spirit of loyalty to rest over this church. That we'll be loyal to one another. I pray, Father, for our children in our homes, godly homes, that our children will be loyal to their parents. Father, grant us that, O Lord. Loyalty. Loyalty, Lord. That we will be loyal to God and loyal to the body where you have placed us in. Because you said, O Lord, you hate those who cause discord among the brethren. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Forgive us our disloyalty. Forgive us our intentions to betray. Forgive us for equivocation. Oh Lord, have mercy. Oh Father, cleanse us. Let your fire cleanse our lips and purge our iniquity. Thank you. Enable us, Lord Father, to keep the Passover with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth and get rid of every malice and hypocrisy like Josiah. And let it, Father, bring revival in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, Amen.